Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. The Lord has done so much, and yet <laughs> still more to come. Hey, today, today is really, really special. Um, if you, many of you know this man right here. Courtney, come on up here too. If, if you don't know, this is an amazing couple. This is the Mitterandos, Rob and Courtney, and they've been a huge part of our, our body from the beginning. And then a few months ago, the Lord had called them to Tennessee, and, uh, and so they're establishing their roots there, and God's doing awesome things, and I'm sure some of that will come out here. But they, they were back for the wedding, and, um, and so what a perfect time. I said, Rob, you got to come up and share. So Rob's going to be speaking today. So I just want to pray over them. Let's pray over them as a house and just bless them and, and welcome them. Lord, we just, we love the Mirandos, God. We thank you that you've knit us together at a heart level, Lord. Thank you that the body extends beyond local meetings, God, but, but we stand united by one spirit. God, this is your body right here, and we just bless them, God. We bless their obedience, their step of faith. We're, we pray, God, even as you've spoken this morning, that they would hold to the words that you've said. God, that you would open miraculous doors for them, God, um, that everything that they need, God, would, you, you never disappoint, Lord. God, you always go beyond our expectations, Lord. So would you just do it again? Would you shock them? Would you bring them into awe over all that you're doing? And I just pray now that you would bless Rob, that he would just share right from the throne room, God. He would share from his heart and that we would receive it. We would receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. <laughs> you know, so many times I've seen Andrew and Johnny come up here and be like, man, I like that's a hard, hard act to follow. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, God, one thing I've learned in the last few years is that repetition is a, it is a principle of the kingdom. And um, we're actually about to repeat a lot of what just happened in worship, um, which is awesome. So I say that because I just, I want, uh, especially if you've been being ministered to by the Lord, I want you to really stay in that place of encounter um, I am, before today, I was so convinced that there was going to be breaking of chains and freedom. The Lord's already begun that work here this morning. It's so apparent. And, um, I just pray that as, as, as I teach through what the Lord's put in my heart, that he just continues that through the rest of the morning. So father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for your presence here, Lord. Thank you for the hearts that you're touching, Lord. I thank you that there's no accidents or, or coincidences in your kingdom, God, but that you have ordained these moments and that you've ordained this moment for your glory in Jesus' name. Whew, amen. Wow. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks, man. Wow. I, you know, it is so good to be back in this tent to see so many familiar faces that that. I'll speak for my wife and I. We just love so much. And I'm also so excited because I just see tons of new faces, people I, I, I don't recognize. And uh, that's awesome because that means that the kingdom of God is expanding here in Mastic Beach. That means that, yeah. yeah. That means that uh, the efforts in evangelism and stewarding the word of God are paying off. Um, 
and it's just incredible. So I've, I've known that there's been, I've seen new names in the group chat, and now I'm getting to tie some of those names to those uh, faces, which is incredible. So where to start? I'm going to skip the intro. I'm going to dive right in because I feel like we're already there. <laughs> the spirit of the Lord is upon me because, <laughs> right, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Yeah. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right. What an incredible verse. Um, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. Um, a few weeks back, I had the pleasure of meeting a gentleman from Australia who spent some time with us at our new temporary home, because we're holding on to promises as well. Um, and as I was sharing my story with him, this scripture started to r repeat like you ever get a get a word and it just stays on repeat and it's 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 not like a song stuck in your head when that happens i really believe that that's the lord speaking he's depositing something in us when that when that occurs and i didn't know why um but then within a few days of him leaving the opportunity for us to come back here presented and coco called me and said hey i found plane tickets it's affordable i was like all right cool book it let's go and meanwhile luke um, 4, 18 through 19, which I just read. It's just, it's just ringing again and again in my spirit. And I, I had this moment where it was like, how can I preach this word? This is Jesus's words. Like, I can't proclaim this. This is what Jesus said. And if I proclaim what Jesus said, then I'm plagiarizing Jesus, right? Well, that's not true. That's religious thinking. Um, the truth of the matter is that the spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus when he came out of the wilderness so that he could do these things. And he comes out of the wilderness proclaiming these things at the inauguration of the kingdom, right? The day of the Lord's favor. So today, I am plagiarizing Jesus because I'm one of his disciples and I get to do that. I get to imitate him. And I say that not in a prideful way that I have some special privilege. I say that as an example for everybody in this room that we can take the words that Jesus spoke, we can take the promises of God, and then we can actually prophesy and proclaim them as we go forth. And much of what we're going to talk about today has to do with the scripture. So I've already like gotten ahead of half my notes, so just bear with me. I usually don't like this because of the whole formality. But So being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit after 40 days of fasting and being tempted, Jesus now full of the Spirit makes that proclamation. And what we see here is that there's a purpose of the infilling of the Spirit. It is unto something else. It's not just for the sake of Jesus receiving the Spirit, but the Spirit actually becomes the power by which Jesus is now going to go out and inaugurate the kingdom of God. There's a few things that Jesus didn't say in this proclamation. He didn't say that we're anointed or that we encounter the Spirit so that we can have a temporary reprieve from our circumstances or how we feel about them, right? He didn't say that being enslaved to sin habits is how we are to continue as the kingdom expands in our lives and as, as it expands on the earth, right? So what I mean is, I'm going to read my note verbatim here. He didn't say that 
those enslaved to sin habits may, be, may have a momentary reprieve through confession in order to remain stuck in the same cycles as long as they still leave. No. What Jesus said is that he was anointed to invite people into a whole new paradigm, right? And in that paradigm, the year of the Lord's favor, the good news would be proclaimed, the captives would be set free, the, sight would re- uh, the blind would recover their sight, and so on and so forth. So the receiving of the Holy Spirit was unto something. And now today, the church, that same spirit, has been poured out on the church. Right? Jesus ascended into the throne room, and then the Holy Spirit comes down. And now we get to, our expectation is that the day of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor, is continuing. It's not a literal 12-month period that Jesus proclaimed, but it's the age in which we live. And we should continue to see people being set free. We should continue to see all of these happenings. So, here's the heavy part. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like so wrecked by what just happened. I'm completely just out of out of order. So bear with me. Yeah. So if we take an honest assessment, right, if we actually look out, and let's just start looking out into the church, and we weigh that against Jesus' proclamation, recovery of sight to the blind, setting the captives free, setting the prisoners free, all this stuff, I think we've seen an incredible measure of that. right? But I also believe that there's so much more. If we're really honest, and even in my own life, I see things that contradict Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom. Sometimes I'm filled with anxiety. Like even this morning as we're worshiping, I was like, oh, no, that's in my sermon notes. So what? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I started feeling anxiety, but that's contrary to what the Lord. But I know that what the Lord has deposited in me, I put on paper, and now I'm going to proclaim it through my mouth. So why does it matter if it's being sung in a song? It's his words anyway. <laughs> so um, I do see people in the church, and, and at one point even me, uh, where I was full of anxiety, where um, – I had a lot of worry. I would despair. I had PTSD. Sometimes I see depression. And I'm not bringing any of this up for shame or condemnation. I'm just kind of making an observation. Because the cool thing is, is what I also see, especially this morning, is the Lord's dealing with these things. Um, Recently, a man named uh, Bishop Joseph Garlington, I don't know how well known he is, but he came and taught at our church. And I'm just mentioning his name because I'm going to quote him. And I want to give credit where credit is due. But he visited the church that we visit in Tennessee, and he spoke. Um, and he gave a definition for spiritual strongholds. A spiritual stronghold is a mindset that allows one to go along with something that is contrary to the will of God. I'm going to, I'm going to read that again. A spiritual stronghold is a mindset. It's a method of thinking that allows someone to go along with something that is contrary to the will of God. I'm going to add a little bit to his definition, and I'm going to say that a spiritual stronghold is also a mindset that goes against the proclamations of God. Okay? I had no coordination with them. I, I asked Crystal to have one song on deck, and I told Willie that there was going to be freedom this morning. That's, that's it. <laughs> Just so you know, this is not planned out by anyone other than God himself. So a mindset that goes against the proclamations of God, right? Well, I think I, I know what God's doing today is he's breaking off these mindsets. He's reminding us of his promises. He's, uh, he's bringing us to a place where with every breath we ought to prophesy. What is prophecy? Very simply put, 
prophecy is saying what God says. It's most simplest definition. Why does Paul say, I, I desire that all will prophesy? Because it's actually really simple to prophesy. Don't know what to say? Read some scripture and repeat it. You're prophesying. Congratulations. <laughs> um, that song with every breath. Imagine, imagine what that would look like for a moment. If every time we exhaled, the thing that came out of our mouth was some storm, some form of prophecy. Man, what, what would our, what would everything look like? Like even, even like instead of complaining and grumbling, like something's frustrating me right now, and I, I can mutter things under my breath. That's not prophecy. Um, yeah, how how much? <laughs> but. Yeah, so a spiritual stronghold is a mindset that goes against the proclamations of God. It is a mindset that goes against the will of God. If Jesus, by the Spirit, ushered in the year of the Lord's favor, and subsequently, I already said this, I'm out of order, but we're going to keep going. I'm going to trust the Lord. <laughs> subsequently, the Spirit's been poured out on all flesh. Then what year are we in? And what should we expect to see in that year? Again, by the Holy Spirit, we ought to be partnering with the things that God has spoken. So today, I come with a message and the expectation that we are going to see things fall off. I wrote this before. <laughs> Yesterday, I had the expectation that we're going to see things fall off here in Jesus' name. The spiritual strongholds will be broken right here in this place. And again, the Lord's already doing it. <laughs> He's already doing it. It's so good. Um, it's not contingent on any one person bringing the right words or a right tune. There, there is an invitation right now to come into alignment with what God has spoken over our lives. And that's what he's doing. He did it through worship. He did it through this time of prayer. He's going to continue to do that as I speak. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So now I'm going to kind of start getting to the point. There is a supernatural thing that the Lord does. He invites us to freedom, and we step into it. And if we're honest, in some areas, we'll stay in that freedom. In other areas, time wanes on. Our circumstances don't match our expectations, um, and we kind of take a step back. But what we see here in Galatians 5.1 is that we actually are to take an active role in our freedom. We're at, we, there's an active role for us in receiving what the Lord, excuse me, what the Lord has for us. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It's a command in Scripture. And I'm only bringing this up because I want us to have some practical tools, not only to step into what the Lord is inviting us into today, but to actually be equipped to stay there. And I don't mean this from a negative point of view by any means, but tomorrow morning, the enemy is going to start whispering lies. As some of us get into our cars to leave here today, the spiritual birds of the air are going to try to plant thoughts into our head that are contrary. Man, I felt so good in that tent, but is it real? Right? But Paul writes, stand firm, okay? Stand firm, therefore, 
and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I just say this to point out a reality, that there is an enemy, yes, crushed and defeated, and awaiting his final banishment, right? But he's still going to try. And we get to guard the things that the Lord has given us when we stand firm and do not submit to a yoke of slavery again. In 2 Corinthians, it's just another example. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, we destroy arguments. Man, think, just let's just hang out. Like, have you ever seen something destroyed? Broken is one thing, right? Like, like this laptop um, got broken one time pretty bad. I think it like fell out of my truck while I was driving. Here it is, fixed. It wasn't destroyed. But if this thing was destroyed, it wouldn't be able to be repaired. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So again, there is an active role that we take in this process. These thoughts creep up. Who are you to go and preach freedom to somebody when just three days ago you had this going on in your mind? Well, I'm the person that the Lord put a message in my heart, and that's all I need to hold on to so that I could step into here and, and, and say what I know the Lord has put on my heart to say. It, that's the simp- that's h- so hard, yet it's so simple and profound, right? So here's the part that might sting a little for some. And I smile because I'm not sorry. <laughs> because I believe the word that the Lord has spoken. A few years ago, I posted something on social media about trauma and sin. And it, it really upset some people. Um, some of them are, some of them even believers. And I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but the gist of it was that victims who remain enslaved by their past traumas are stuck in sin and that they need to repent. Okay? Now, you might say that that's victim shaming. I'm telling you today it's not. It is not victim shaming. And I'm going to tell you why, but give me some grace and bear with me in this, all right? Some of us have witnessed or experienced horrible things. We would, we would simply call that trauma. And I'm not going to start naming traumas. Everybody has their own frame of reference. And I believe that in some way everybody experiences trauma. I don't think that PTSD is unique to war veterans, right? That's just what our culture kind of views it as. Um, I do believe that everybody at some point in their life has experienced some trauma. And what happens is that trauma was placed there by the enemy to try to destroy the Lord's call over our lives. And sometimes we are um, implicit in the traumas that we experience. I'll use my own story. I, um, I, was, I had a spirit of violence. I was like a warmonger, right? So I fought tooth and nail to go to Iraq. I, I could have I gotten through eight years of military service and never once deployed. But I was just so persistent in getting into the fight. It was such an idol for me. Um, and then what happens? Well, I get there and I experience some stuff, trauma. Other cases, people maybe not be implicit in their trauma. Maybe they didn't choose to go to the place where they were hurt. Maybe it was a, a child who had somebody do something horrible to them. 
they're a victim. And again, I am not shaming anybody for anything that you've experienced, whether you are implicit in it or not. We're going to get to the heart of this here in a minute. This is all into freedom. So here's what I mean when I say that there needs to be a repentance for those of us who are stuck under something related to a past trauma in our life, right? If we're stuck under depression, we're stuck under PTSD, we're stuck under hopelessness and despair, probably would file that as depression. We're stuck under anxiety or worry. Even though we may or may not have caused these traumas or invited them into our lives, we still have to make a choice in regard to what is seated on the throne of our hearts, okay? And this is what I mean about repentance. We can't apologize for what somebody else did to us. I can't apologize for the young man who drove a vehicle full of explosives into my convoy, right? I can't apologize for him, but I can apologize I can repent for letting that rule over my life, for letting that define what my identity was, right? Because for me, the moment that happened, I went from being a leader of Marines and a very successful Marine to a total and complete failure, right? In one moment, somebody else's actions and my whole world shifts, my whole self-identity shifts, and I carried that for years. I'm not fit to do this job because I failed at this job, right? Sounds logical, but the truth of the matter is when something like that, and I'm just speaking out of my own experience, again, I know everyone has unique experiences with this, when something like that determines our self-worth and our value, it's lording over us. It has taken the place of God Almighty in our lives, and it seeks to keep us somewhere other than, scroll back up here, other than in liberty, other than in spiritual sight other than um, out of oppression, right? It seeks to keep us in oppression. Long awkward silence. Everyone good? Is everyone tracking with me here? Okay, cool. Yeah, man. This one's been burning for a while. It's short, but it's it's rich. I was gonna, <laughs> I didn't have time. I was going to actually prepare this sermon. I wanted to have a piece of cake and a chocolate truffle. And the piece of cake is big, right? And it tastes good, but it'll take longer to eat. But man, you ever had like a really good truffle? And how sad. This is a truffle sermon. <laughs> then I was going to throw the truffle to you. <laughs> So Paul writes, so we're going to get back to how, the how part of how do we overcome these things, right? How do we unseat um, the, the idols of our heart? Paul writes to the Philippians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, 
if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, we're going to go back to that one. Paul says, think about these things. Right? Go for it. This is God's word, not mine, so clap away. <laughs> think about these things. Right? So how do we destroy arguments? How do we unseat lofty opinions? It's almost too simple to be true. We think about whatever's true. Somebody just tell me something that's true, specific, more specifically out of God's word. Anybody, just shout something out that's true. Say it again. Caesar, love you, man. <laughs> I just proved it. <laughs> Caesar said he's loved. Okay? So spiritual birds come in, and they start trying to put thoughts in our head, and we're thinking about why did this thing happen? And maybe one of those thoughts is, well, this thing happened because God doesn't love me. That's a lie. That's a, that's a lie right there. So instead of partnering with the lie, we think about what is true. God loves me. That's awesome. What's honorable? What is just? God is just. God is honorable. What is pure? Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. If you're in Christ Jesus and covered under his blood, put your hand in the air right now. You're pure. You get that? You're pure. Regardless of what someone's done to you, regardless of decisions that you've made, regardless of places that you've gone, things that you've put in your body, things that you've looked at with your eyes, you're pure by the blood of Christ. Okay? So when the enemy comes and starts saying, well, you know, you're probably not going to find a loved one because of this past relationship. Nope. I'm pure. I wanted to prophesy that over uh, the Rivera's last night. They are pure. They're both pure. Like, God takes the everything, flips it upside down, and makes us into brand new creations. That's wild. Whatever is lovely. Man, Jesus is lovely, right? This is like go Eric Gilmore on everybody right now. He is so lovely. <laughs> oh, whatever is commendable, right? What are some commendable things? Jesus' actions towards us. Um, the victories in our lives, the things that the things that we that the Lord is inviting us into overcome, our obedience to the Lord is commendable. You know that we can, we can, without pride, that we can actually still celebrate our, our good works, right? Because they're God's works. Yeah, absolutely. It, th- those things are commendable. We could reflect on the things that God has done with, through, and in us. If there is any excellence. If anything worthy of praise. Well, we know Paul sounds like he's being kind of rhetorical here because we know that there's excellence and there's a person who's worthy of praise. Think about these things. Man, it's so simple yet. I know sometimes it's so hard. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul, practice these things. Oh, so not only do we think about these things, but then we go out and practice them. What does that mean? Well, let's go back to whatever is true, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus, Caesar, who very much reminds me of Jesus, (laughs) says he's loved. Well, I get to practice these things by saying, yeah, brother, you are loved because I love you so much, (laughs) right? Not just think about how God's worthy of praise, but let's practice some praise. We do it. We do it Sundays. We do it in the tent. 
So first in our minds, we meditate on the good things. And I don't mean just think happy thoughts. I mean, we actually go for the real good things. We don't take placebos. We look to Jesus, right? But then we practice these things. We can take Jesus' words of proclamation of the kingdom of God and go out and put those things into practice. You will, you will get out of depression so fast as soon as you start preaching the good news of the gospel to another person. That, I'm telling you, if you're depressed, go tell somebody about Jesus. It'll break off like that. The, the hard part isn't in the doing. It's in the decision to actually do it. So just make that decision. Go proclaim the good things of God, which is focusing on what is good, focusing on what is excellent and true. It's bringing him praise, and you will see depression fall off. And then if it creeps back up again, that doesn't mean that it didn't fall off. That means that it's trying to creep back up again, but you've been given spiritual weapons by which to conduct warfare and to continue standing firm in what it is that God has spoken. That wasn't in the notes. So today, there is a standing invitation. It was open this morning already when we came in to see Jesus rightly and unseat the idols of trauma that have kept us depressed, anxious, desperate, afraid, that have stopped us from doing the things that God has called us to do, that have stopped us from proclaiming the things that we know God has proclaimed over our lives. And the answer is very simple. that all we need to do to step into that, which I think we just had a great practical example of, is look at Jesus. Brief history lesson for y'all. John the baptizer, in John 1, verse 29, he proclaims, Behold! It's a good one, right? <laughs> Behold! He probably shouted it. They're outdoors. There's a river. There's people milling around. I mean, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, that's an incredible word in our context, right? Has anybody here besides Andrew and maybe Johnny ever studied first century Israel, the Roman Empire? Awesome. We've got scholars and theologians in here. It's so good. Ever wonder why in Galatians... Paul writes, um, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. And what, what it refers to with the fullness of time? Nobody's ever wondered that? <laughs> have I sparked your curiosity? <laughs> I think I have part of the answer, maybe. When I did my um, New Testament studies, uh, the first portion of that class was, was the history and the setting of the New Testament. And what I mean by the setting is like, what was actually happening in the culture, in society? What did it mean to be a Jew in the first century? And what I could tell you is, without getting into all the details, is it was horrendous time to live. Like, we think things can be bad here with our economy and the stuff running wild in the culture. This has nothing on first century Rome, right? Um, I believe that the fullness of time, again, at least part of it, is this, is this is the moment in time where the world was at its worst. Absolute worst. You know, you know what they ate? You know what, like, so there was no middle class. Um, you were basically either extremely poor or you were 
rich, or in some way you were favored by the rich, so you were able to get nicer things, but you were basically a pawn to oppress the poor. The, the standard diet for a first century Jew was um, some sort of pickled fish. Like, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> Unless you're Caesar. <laughs> it was like pickled fish, and I can't remember the other thing, but I was like, that was pretty much all you had. That was what you got to eat. So just imagine doing sardines every day. Okay, whatever. It's just, this one's just going to go over his head. <laughs> um, it was a miserable time to live. And I believe that what we see when Paul says the fullness of time is that God's, God sees this moment in history where there is no hope. Um, actually, God in his foresight knew that the temple was about to be destroyed 70 years later and that his chosen people were going to lose their system by which they um, could be redeemed, by which they could uh, have community with God. And he says, okay, now is the time. And he sends forth the son. So why am I highlighting what John says? These people are desperate. They're hopeless. It's a miserable time to live. You're about to lose your national identity because of Roman occupation, right? You're losing your religious identity because the Pharisees, they weren't so great either. I mean, this is real religious, demonic religious oppression. It was a perversion of what, um, what the old covenant was supposed to be. And then John sees Jesus approaching, and his response is, look at that. There's the Lamb of God. There's your sacrificial system, right? There's the thing, the person that's going to bring you hope and make you clean. So I say all that to say, back to tearing down spiritual strongholds and what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Behold Jesus. I see these shirts that I designed four years ago. Oh, my goodness, he's got one on too. (laughs) That's <laughs> so good. It's so good. Did y'all plan that today? <laughs> Go ahead. Show everyone the shirt. <laughs> y'all have seen it. That the inspiration behind that shirt is very simply, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. But when I was a kid, look at Jesus. But my look at Jesus. Seriously, this is this is this is the this is the this is the thing that changes everything. You want out of depression? Look at Jesus. You want out of PTSD? Look at Jesus. I'm not speaking from like biblical head knowledge. I've gone through this. I've lived this. I've hinted. I've seen some things. We've all seen some things. Looking at Jesus fixes everything. John tells everyone, hey, look at Jesus. Look over there. There's your hope. There's your forgiveness. There is your once and for all sacrifice. You imagine in that day, in order to get atonement for sins, you had to somehow come up with money to buy a perfect lamb, turn it over to the Pharisees, so they could slaughter it for you. And John turns around and says, no, there's the lamb right there. There's your lamb. You don't have to go buy that lamb. It's right there. It solved everything. Therefore, since we are so surrounded, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here it is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is like one of my favorite parts of a verse right here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So all that to say, look at Jesus. It's really all I got. <laughs> um, man, do you want to come up? No? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You want to sing? Yeah, awesome. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go right back in. Crystal's got a little bridge on deck. <laughs> I miss you. It's so good to see you, man. <laughs> Thanks, Nicholas. And um, I just want to take this moment to continue what the Lord's already started in this place, right? And I, I know people have already been touched by the Lord. If you haven't, if you found yourself staring off blankly during worship this morning, right, I, there's no condemnation. The invitation's still open. And we're going to go for it right now. Um, Rose? Can you come up? <laughs> I'd like to invite anybody who's really walked through some trauma and been set free also to come on up. And if you're looking for prayer, I, be, I, I believe in impartation. I, I know, yeah, I know we all do. So if you're, if you're looking for someone to walk you through that and to pray over you, um, come to Rose. I'm going to step off to the left here. Coco, I want you up here too. Uh, I'm getting the signal. Maybe not. Yeah? Okay, cool. My wife wants to say something. I just want to add to, um, he said multiple times, behold Jesus, behold Jesus, behold Jesus. And I was born and raised in church. Um, I've always known Jesus, but I can only speak for myself in that I became very religious. Being born and raised, well, not born in the South, raised in the South, and it's, we go to church on Sunday and on Wednesday, whatever. But it wasn't until we came to home church back in 2019 and all of our new peeps were talking about, behold Jesus, look at Jesus. I didn't know. I literally said to the Lord, I'm like, I've known you my whole life. I feel you, but I don't know what that means. So in a practical way, I feel like the practical application to beholding Jesus is... And it, it might sound silly, but last week before I woke up one day and before I was even fully conscious, the word paraclete popped into my head. I don't recall what paraclete means. <laughs> so I went and looked it up, and it means advocate or helper. And when Jesus ascended, he, sent, he said that he would send his, his paraclete, his I'm not a Bible scholar. I didn't go to school like they did, but <laughs> the little bit I do know he is our friend. He is our helper. He is our advocate. And at our former church that we were at before, home church, there was a time where we were going through whatever study, and it was like, pretend, I say pretend lightly, pretend like Jesus is in the passenger seat of your car, 
and driving with you. And it's so awkward, you know, like turn the radio off, turn everything off and just talk to him like he's a friend. Well, he is a friend and he does. If you have proclaimed Jesus, if you have said, Lord, I am a sinner, but I know I'm a saint because you died for me and you made me a saint. I know I'm a sinner, so I'm laying my life down at your feet. That is beholding him. And when you accept him and his Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you no longer want to lay. It, it's, it can be a process, but it can also be an instant. And what he said, I know personally some people in here, you're going around the same mountain, the same mountain, the same mountain. I used to be that person. I have suicide in my family. My grandmother committed suicide. I had two more suicides in my family after that, just in the last hand, five years. I've had two other suicides. That's three suicides that I know of in my family. Those are, what? where's Greg? That's generational curses. Generational curses, bipolar. I call it out right now. I call it out. Suicidal thoughts, I call that out. You don't have a place in the, in the people of Jesus, in the children of Jesus. You're a child. If you're an orphan, I call out orphan spirits right now in Jesus' name. Your parents abandoned you? Well, you have a heavenly father who knows you. He knows every hair on your head. Behold Jesus. That just simply means, Lord, I don't know what that means, but I'm coming with you, coming to you with a hungry heart. I'm coming to you desperate. I need your heavenly manna. He's going to give you more than manna. He's going to give you his spirit. And you might not be able to see that with your eyes, but I swear on my life, I swear I have seen it. When you lay your life down at his feet, come here, come fill the altar at his feet and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your desire is a spouse. You know what? Jesus is, is closer than a spouse. I love my husband, but I've learned that he is not in the place of God. For a long time, I looked to him for my fulfillment. He, I'm not going to get that through him. I have to behold Jesus. When I go to Jesus and say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be everything to me. He will give you the things in his time. So if you struggle with addiction, if you struggle with the same thought patterns, oh, I'm not good enough. Y'all, I struggle with not feeling good enough. So many people say, oh, you're so good at this, and oh, you're so this, and you're so that. Well, until I see my identity, until I know where my identity lies, I'm never going to see myself as good enough until I see that Lord, the, the way the Lord sees me. It doesn't matter what other people see. It matters what the Lord sees in me and what he has said about me. He says, you're holy. You're worthy. You're worthy of life because he gave you breath. He gave you life. You're breathing air today because he gave you life for a reason, for a purpose. So if you feel purposeless, you need to be up here and you need to be beholding Jesus. When you walk outside this tent, the enemy's going to try to throw things at you. He's going to try to say, oh, did the Lord really say, are you sure about that? I 
am telling you right now, as sure as I'm standing here breathing air myself, you are born for a reason. You have purpose. The Lord loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You had parents who said, oh, you're not good enough. You're never going to be loved by anyone. The Lord loves you. I just feel like there's so many people in here that don't believe that. They believe it's for everyone else but them. And I'm telling you, it's for you. It's for each and every one of you. The, the church that we've been visiting in, in Tennessee, the pastor says, you might believe in God. Maybe you believe in God. Maybe you believe in the Bible. But you don't believe it's for you. It is. It's for each and every one of us. We're all in different seasons. We're all in different ways of life and, and walks. Maybe we're, I have young kids Maybe you have older kids. Maybe you have kids who've fallen away from the Lord. The Lord still sees you. He still loves you. He wants, he's so into the details and he wants to love, he wants you to want him to love you. And it starts with beholding him. It starts with not letting, you don't have your Bible with you. Y'all, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to take this over, but I just feel like my husband and we've sent, we since have a daughter. My husband and my son, I wanted a Bible with my name on it. I didn't get my name on it. I got for mommy. But hey, I'm mommy too. I got this Bible in 2016. And I said, before I die, I want every page to be highlighted. Every page to be underlined. And people, my friends, they don't make fun of me in a bad way. But they're like, oh, geez, you got more highlighted pages than not. And I saw something Johnny posted. He's worse than me. He marks out. The <laughs> I thought I was bad. But y'all, make this priority. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the, the Son of God. But you're going to be lost if you don't open this. This is not a book weight. This is not a cool gift to give somebody to make it feel good. This is the word of God. This is our sword. We're teaching our kids Ephesians 6 to put on the full armor of God. Well, guess what? You need the helmet. You need the sword. You need all these things. It's not just nice, positive things to say. This is holy, y'all. And y'all need to read it. This is how you behold him. You sit in his word and you have conversation with him because he's, he's the same as like sitting here touching somebody next to you. But it's, it's closer than that. He lives within you. And we need the confidence to know that he has not left us. He hasn't left you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't left you. You want healing? You'll have healing. In Jesus' name, you'll have healing. Stop partnering with the lies of the enemy. I, I got to stop.
this is this is this is why we have wives. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.